ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His help, assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whomever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whomever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone. and that he has no partners and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger we would like to begin our talk this evening the fifth the fifth in our series of lectures concerning the explanation of the essay of al-imam ahmed ibn hanbal which is entitled usul as-sunnah the fundamentals of the sunnah al-imam ahmed he begins this book by saying the fundamental principles of the sunnah with us are holding fast to what the companions of the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam were upon meaning sticking to the way of the companions the quran and the sunnah as it was practiced and understood by those who learned directly from the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam then he says taking them that is the companions and their way as a model to be followed also the abandonment of innovations newly invented matters those things which have no basis in the religion for every innovation is misguidance as mentioned in the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he goes on to say the abandonment or leaving controversies debates and arguments in the religion about those things which are firmly established and clear also the abandonment or the avoiding of sitting with the people who follow their own desires who prefer to follow their own opinions rather than to accept the words of Allah in the Quran and the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam also the abandonment of quarreling argumentation and controversy in the religion then al-imam ahmed rahimahullah goes on to say and the sunnah with us are the athar the narrations of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam meaning his sayings his actions and those things which he allowed or approved of, of in his presence or that he knew about as to the role of the sunnah he says and the sunnah explains and clarifies the quran it is a guide to the quran containing evidences and indications as to its meanings and correct interpretations so the the sunnah one of its major roles is to explain to clarify and to inform us or direct us 
to the correct meaning and correct interpretation of the Qur'an. As well as, it gives more details of those things which are given in general in the Qur'an, and it may also bring new legislation that's not mentioned in the Qur'an. Imam Ahmed goes on to say, there's no analogical reasoning, that is qiyas, there's no analogical reasoning in the sunnah, and examples or likenesses are not to be made of it. Yani we should not uh, add to the sunnah something from our own intellect by our own reasoning that has no basis in the sunnah itself or in the Qur'an. Then he says, in reference to the sunnah, it is not grasped nor comprehended by the pure intellect, by the intellect alone, or by the desires, one's feelings or opinions. But verily, the correct way to approach the sunnah, it is to, to understand that our relation to the sunnah is that we should follow it and depend upon it and abandon or leave off our own desires or opinions. Here, Imam Ahmed turns to a new topic that we want to discuss this evening. وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ اللَّازِمَةِ أَلَّتِي مَنْ تَرَكَ مِنْهَا خَفْلَةً لَمْ يَقْبَلْهَا وَيُؤْمِنْ دِيهَا لَمْ يَكُنْ مِنْ أَحْلِهَا And from the sunnah al-lazima, the binding or necessary sunnah, and here the meaning of sunnah includes both the Islamic beliefs, aqidah, as well as the methodology, the minhaj, the way of practice in Islam, and the other meanings of sunnah, including the practices of the Prophet ﷺ and what he taught us. From this obligatory or binding sunnah, which whoever leaves a single matter from it, whoever leaves off one of those things from this sunnah, whoever has not accepted it in its totality, nor believed in that thing, even one of them, then that person, لم يكن من أهلها, he would not be of the people of sunnah. These are the things now Imam Ahmed is going to mention, those things which are essential to the religion of Islam, to the Islamic beliefs, Islamic aqidah, and the way of implementing or practicing Islam in our life. Those things that we should do during the course of our life as worship of Allah and seeking His pleasure. Of those obligatory things, he says, is al-iman bil-qadri khayrihi wa sharrihi. To have faith in qadr the divine pre-decree, both its good and its evil. وَالتَّصْدِيقُ بِالْأَحَادِيثِ فِيهِ And to affirm the ahadith, the sayings and practices, or that information that came to us from the Prophet ﷺ, about Qadr, divine pre-decree, or pre-ordination, or predestination, which requires an explanation, insha'Allah. At-tasdiqu bi al-ahadithi fihi. We must affirm the information that came to us from the Prophet ﷺ concerning al-Qadr. Wal-iman bihi, and we must believe in it, have faith in it. لا يقال لما ولا كيف إنما هو التصديق والإيمان بها. It is not right. It is not proper that we should say about القدر divine decree. We should not say لما why. If information came to us from Allah through the Quran or the Sunnah, 
it is not for us, if we know that it is authentic and true, it is not for us to say, Lima, as though, why is such, how can it be, case, as though we don't accept the truth that has come to us from the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّمَا هُوَ التَّصْدِيقُ وَالْإِيمَانُ بِهِ But verily, it is left for us only to attest to it, to affirm it, to the truthfulness of such a hadith and having faith in them. Al-Imam Ahmed, he goes on to say, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَعْرِفْ تَفْسِيرُ الْحَدِيثِ وَيَبْلُغُهُ أَقْلُهُ فَقَدْ كُفِيَ ذَلِكَ وَأُحْكِمَ لَهُ فَعَلَيْهِ بِالْإِيمَانِ بِهِ وَالتَّسْلِيمِ لَهُ مثل حديث الصادق المصدوق وما كان مثله في القدر. So whoever does not know the explanation of a hadith, if a hadith came to us and it is authentic, we know that it is a true statement of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But we don't know what is its explanation, its tafsir. We cannot understand it. Whoever does not know the explanation of a hadith and whose intellect does not have the capacity to make him to understand it, then that would be sufficient. Yani it is sufficient to just merely affirm the hadith, attest to it and have faith in it. If we could not understand it, then it is sufficient for us to attest to its truthfulness and to believe in it, have faith in it. Since everything from the religion of Islam has already been perfected. And it is necessary for us to have faith in it and to submit to it, such as, for example, the hadith of As-Sadiq al-Masduq, the truthful and the one who is believed, and whatever is similar to it in the matter of Al-Qadr. Perhaps the, the Imam Ahmed here is referring to the hadith of As-Sadiq al-Masduq, that is the hadith which the companion Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu in the beginning of that hadith he mentioned that he heard it from As-Sadiq al-Masduq meaning the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in that hadith he said verily the creation of one of you is brought together in his mother's belly for 40 days in the form of a seed and then he is a clot of blood for a like period also 40 days then a morsel of flesh for a like period 40 days. Then they sent to him after these three periods of 40, 120 days or four months. Then they sent to him an angel who blows or breathes the breath of, breath of life into him and who is commanded about four matters to write down four things. Rizqihi wa ajlihi wa amalihi wa shaqiyun aw sa'idun. He is to write these things from the Qadr or the divine pre-decree relating to number one, his livelihood, his sustenance, what he would earn in this life from the beginning of his life when he came into this world until the day he left. All of this is written before he came into this world and it is written again by the angels at the time when he is in his mother's womb after four month period. His livelihood what he would earn in this world, his lifespan, how long he would live exactly, his actions, his deeds, what he would do in this world, good deeds, bad deeds, etc., all of it 
is known to Allah even before he came into this world and whether he would be happy or unhappy. That is, whether or not he would be of those who would do good deeds and earn success, that is the paradise, and therefore be happy, or, though, or he would be of those who would do bad deeds, who would fail, and who would be sent to hellfire, and therefore be of the unhappy. Then the Prophet ﷺ went on to say, By Allah, besides whom there is nothing else that should be worshipped, verily one of you may do the actions of the people of paradise, until there is but an arm's length between him and it, and that which has been written overtakes him, so he then begins to do the actions of the people of hellfire and then enters the hellfire. And one of you may be doing the actions of the people of hellfire until there is but an arm's length between him and it, that is the hellfire. He is very close to it, close to his death. And at that time, that which has been written, the divine decree overtakes him. And so he begins to do the actions of the people of the paradise and thus enters the paradise. This hadith requires some explanation. But perhaps there is not in detail. The most important part of this hadith is that it tells us that the matters, the important matters in the life of every human being is written before he comes into this world, including his livelihood, what he would earn in this world, his lifespan, his deeds, and whether or not he would end up in the paradise or the hellfire. This is part of the divine pre-decree. The other important point is that as the scholars explained, the Prophet ﷺ made us to know that a person, he would be judged finally by the end of his life, the last deeds that he did. And this is explained to us in the words of the Prophet ﷺ, where he said that a person might be doing the deeds of the people of paradise. But in the end of his life, that which was written overtook him and he began to do the deeds of the people of hellfire and into the hellfire. Whereas another person would be doing the deeds of the people of hellfire, and then before his life ended, that which was written overtook him, and he began to do the deeds of the people of paradise and into the paradise. This means that as the Prophet ﷺ used to constantly pray, that Allah would make the last of his deeds the best of them. Because our final destination is determined by our condition before we died, if we were doing the deeds of the people of paradise or the people of hellfire. There's a good explanation that's too lengthy to mention here about this aspect of the hadith, but let me just say that some of the scholars explained that uh, as it was narrated in another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that the person who was doing the deeds of the people of paradise but ended up in the hellfire, because he started to do the, peop- the deeds of the people of hellfire at the end of his life, it was explained in one of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the correct understanding of this, is that a person was doing the deeds of the people of paradise in terms of that which was seen by human beings. Their outward deeds appeared to be the deeds of the people of paradise, but as you know, every deed has to have two conditions in order for it to be accepted by Allah. The first of them is that it should be done purely for Allah alone, and the second of them is that it should be done in accordance with the way or the instruction or the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. So even though the person may have been doing outwardly what appeared to be the deeds of the people of paradise, but Allah only knows what's in someone's heart, and whether or not the intention to do those deeds was purely for him, or they were doing it to be seen by men. So before they died, Allah made manifest the reality of that person, and they then began to do outwardly 
their true deeds, the deeds of the people of Hellfire, and then they entered that place which they deserve to enter, and Allah is totally just and fair. And another person who would be doing the deeds of the people of Hellfire, but before they died, by Allah's mercy, that person was given the ability and the uh, inspiration to correct their life, to make tawbah or repentance. They turned back to Allah, and Allah accepted their repentance. Then they began to do the correct deeds for Allah's sake, and Allah accepted that from them and allowed them to enter the paradise, and Allah knows best. So this is the essence of what we uh, wanted to cover this evening. Uh, but obviously there is need for some commentary on some of what we have mentioned here. The most important of it, obviously, is the explanation of Al-Qadr and Al-Qadha, the divine pre-decree and the execution of that which Allah has decreed. First, uh, in the commentary of this small essay of Imam Ahmed, it is mentioned by the commentator that the scholars from amongst the early Muslims of the people of Islam are agreed upon the necessity of having faith in Qadr, its good and its evil, its sweetness and its bitterness. Having faith in this Qadr and Qadr is a necessity. It is one of the six pillars of Iman, without which a person cannot be considered to be a Muslim. Nothing occurs except due to the will of Allah. No good or evil occurs except by permission from Allah. That He Allah created whomever He willed for happiness and then made it easy for that one to do those actions by which this happiness is obtained, that is the paradise, from Allah's fadl, from His bounty and His favor. And He created whomever He willed for misfortune and then made it easy for that person to do the actions, the bad actions by which He reached this misfortune, that is the hellfire. And that is out of Allah's justice, al-Adl. Also, we should say here that Allah doesn't mislead anyone or misguide anyone except that that person inclines or desires to go astray. And there are many verses in the Quran. The clearest, one of the clearest of them is where Allah mentions in Surah Al-Saf, فَلَمَّا زَاغُوا أَزَاغَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ That is, when they themselves turned astray, deviated from the guidance and the truth and the right way, then as a result of their own deviation from the truth, Allah made their hearts turn to that which they themselves turned to. So Allah then makes it easy for them to do that which they want to do. It's not out of injustice that Allah leads someone astray, but that person turns away from the truth and the right guidance after it's clear to them, then Allah turns their hearts that is, Allah makes their hearts inclined to that which they want to do, and He makes it easy for them to do that which they want to do. And in the same way, those who seek truth and that which is right, and make the effort to seek the pleasure of Allah, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord of all the worlds, then Allah turns their heart to that which they are turning to, and makes it easy for them to do the right deeds, so that they would reach the destination that is uh, just and out of Allah's favor and bounty yani, to be given to them. Also, <clears throat> uh, 
it is mentioned here uh, it is also mentioned here uh, the saying of Imam Ahmed where he says that uh, we must also believe in the hadith regarding the ru'ya or the believe, that the believers will see Allah in the hereafter we must believe in all of these hadith even if they disagree with people's hearing that is even if it's something difficult for us to understand or to accept and even if the one who is listening to them feels repelled by it or averse to it or indifferent, indifferent to it the believers will see their Lord with their eyes on the day of judgment this is a fact which is firmly established in the Quran and in the Sunnah the whole of the Muslim Ummah, the Muslim nation from the first generations until today have taken, uh, has taken it with acceptance, have accepted this as a fact stated both in the Quran and in the Sunnah however the strange and isolated amongst the creation have rejected it, some people deviated, they rejected this fact from amongst them the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah and the Khawarij, some groups from amongst the Muslims who separated themselves from the correct understanding of the Quran and Sunnah followed their own opinions and their own feelings and so they rejected some truths that came in the Quran and Sunnah but this ru'ya seeing Allah on the, in the next life on the day of judgment this is something that inshallah we will discuss in detail later when it came further on in the essay of Imam Ahmed and we will mention the proofs from the Quran and the tafsir of the scholars of tafsir, as well as from the hadith, the sayings of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And Imam Ahmed goes on to say, certainly it is obligatory on him, that is, on every Muslim, to have faith in these uh, these things, the divine decree, the seeing of Allah on the day of judgment, and so on, and not to reject a single word from them, nor from other such sayings or truths that came in the hadith which has been reported by reliable, trustworthy narrators. This is an important point that we discussed uh, last week when we talked about hadith and sunnah, that any hadith which came to us from reliable, trustworthy narrators, that is, those who are known to be truthful and to have good memories, then we confirm the truthfulness of those hadith and we believe in them and we don't reject even one word from it. Also, we should not argue with anyone nor dispute, nor should we learn how to make argumentation uh, in such matters. Because some people, when they deviated from the Qur'an, then they began to uh, express their own opinions and make arguments with the people who accept what is clearly mentioned in the Qur'an and Sunnah. But we should avoid argumentation with these people, debates and controversy. As Imam Ahmed says here, فَإِنَّ الْكَلَامِ فِي الْقَدْرِ وَالرُّؤْيَةِ وَالْقُرْآنِ وَغَيْرِهَا مِنَ السُّنَنِّ مَكْرُوهٌ مَنْهِيٌ عَنْهُ That is, indulging in these debates, theological rhetoric, kalam, in the matters of Al-Qadr, divine decree, and seeing Allah, and the fact that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah, and other such issues are among the ways that are detested. It's makruh, it's detestable, undesirable, it's something hated by Allah, and it is also manhiyun anhu, it is forbidden. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah who died in the year 204 of the Hijrah said, My ruling regarding the people of theological rhetoric, kalam, the people who just want to argue and debate, 
is that they should be beaten with palm leaves and shoes and be paraded amongst the people and the tribes with it being announced publicly that this is the reward of the one who abandons the book that is the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and turns to theological rhetoric, argumentation based on intellect but not based on the Qur'an and Sunnah. One of the great Maliki scholars, Ibn Abdul Barr, he said, the people of fiqh and athar, the people of fiqh, of Islamic jurisprudence, and the people of hadith, in all the various towns and cities are agreed unanimously that the people who like to make theological rhetoric, ahl kalam, they are the ahl bid'ah and zayd, they are the people of innovation and deviation. The people who like to make theological argumentation and rhetoric. And they are not considered by all of the above to be amongst the ranks of the scholars in truth. They are not considered to be amongst the scholars even if they appear to have knowledge. And Imam Shafi also said that a person is put to trial with everything that Allah has forbidden. And it may be a test. Anything that Allah has forbidden will be a test for us. Besides shirk. If anything that a person is tested with, they might become weak and fall victim to doing something forbidden. Any one of those things is less than the person being other than shirk. Any one of these things except shirk. Because shirk, if someone dies on shirk, worshipping something as a god besides Allah, then they are destined for the hellfire permanently. But other than shirk, anything else that is forbidden is less or is better that the person fall into that than falling into theological rhetoric. Yani he considered this theological rhetoric, argumentation, and intellectual uh, debate, not based on Qur'an and Sunnah, he considered this to be worse than anything else that Allah has forbidden that a person might fall victim to, except shirk. He also said if people knew what misleading and destructive desires are contained within theological rhetoric, they would certainly free, flee from it, as they would flee from a lion. He said, whoever showed boldness in approaching theological rhetoric will never be successful. These are some of the sayings of the scholars, and there are many others, but time will not permit. We want to go back to uh, the main point of our discussion, but let me just read the last paragraph before doing so. He said that the one who does so, who involves in himself in these things, theological uh, rhetoric, even if he reaches the truth with his words, even if he somehow is successful in reaching a, cor a correct conclusion by this wrong method, even if he reached the correct, the correct conclusion, he is not from the people of Sunnah until he abandons using this mode of argumentation, this means of argumentation, until he leaves this and until he submits himself and believes in the Athar, the prophetic narrations and those of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in. That means that a person should uh, leave this method of argumentation and rely completely on the revelation, the Qur'an and Sunnah, because even if they use a wrong methodology and they reached a, co a correct conclusion, then they would still not be considered to be of the people of Sunnah until they submit themselves completely to the Sunnah and use it as their guide and as their Measuring stick. There are some people who perhaps have heard 
or perhaps they have read something which might lead one to believe that it is wrong and unacceptable and improper to even discuss the divine pre-decree, that is Al-Qadr and Al-Qadr. Some people think that it is improper even to discuss this idea. Perhaps we may have read or we heard the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which is narrated from so many of the companions, and it is an authentic hadith where it is reported that the Prophet ﷺ said, وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ الْقَدْرُ فَمْسِكُوا If anyone mentions this subject of Al-Qadr, then hold back. يعني remain silent. Don't participate in such discussion. Perhaps we may have read such. As one of the contemporary scholars said, that what is meant here by not participating in such discussion, it means going deeply into this topic to an extent that the people become confused and begin to argue and debate amongst themselves and mislead themselves or mislead others. And this interpretation of the hadith can be clearly seen in one report that is given to us in the Sunan of Ibn Majah on the authority of Amr ibn Shu'ayb and Abihi and Jaddihi, it is reported that Amr ibn Shu'ayb heard from his father, from his grandfather, this saying, خَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَىٰ أَصْحَابِهِ وَهُمْ يَخْتَصِمُونَ فِي الْقَدْرِ The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم one day came out to his companions while they were arguing and debating about the divine pre-decree. فَكَأَنَّمَا يُفْقَعُ فِي وَجْهِهِ حَبُ رُمَّانِ مِنَ الْغَضَبِ It was as though the seeds from the pomegranate was smashed in his face, those red seeds, from anger. يعني he was so angry, his face turned red from anger when he came out and saw his companions arguing and debating about Al-Qadr. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to them, بِهَذَا أُمِرْتُمْ أَوْ لِهَذَا خُلِقْتُمْ Have you been ordered by Allah, meaning by Allah, is this what you have been ordered to do, to argue and debate about your religion? Showing his displeasure with such. Or he said, لِهَذَا خُلِقْتُمْ Is this what Allah has created you for? Is this what you were created for? To argue and debate about your religion? The Prophet ﷺ said, تَدْرِبُونَ الْقُرْآنَ بَعْدَهُ بِبَعْضٍ بِهَذَا حَلَكَتْ الْأُمَمُ قَبْلَكُمْ He said, are you taking one part of the Qur'an to use it against another part of the Qur'an in your argumentation, in your debating with one another, using the Qur'an against itself? And we know that there is no contradiction. There cannot be any contradiction in the Qur'an. How can someone take one verse of the Qur'an to argue against someone who takes another verse of the Qur'an? That means that the Qur'an is contradicting itself. The Prophet ﷺ scolded them. Are you using the Qur'an, some of you, taking one part of the Qur'an against another part of the Qur'an? 
in, by this very thing, the previous nations, those who came before you were destroyed. From this hadith it becomes clear that what the Prophet ﷺ was concerned about and angry about was their arguing and debating about Al-Qadr. Not the discussion of Al-Qadr itself, because the Qur'an mentions it in so many places. The Prophet ﷺ explained it in detail, and all of the scholars in the books of Islamic belief discussed it. In every book of Islamic belief you will find it mentioned. It is one of the six pillars, the fundamental foundations of Islamic belief. The belief in divine decree, or preordination, or pre-measurement, or predestination. By any word that we want to use in English, the important thing is to understand its meaning in Islam. What is the correct understanding of this Al-Qadr and Al-Qadr? One of the scholars, contemporary scholars, discussed this very point when he was asked by someone, they said, some people do not like to study the Islamic beliefs, Al-Aqidah, especially the issue of Al-Qadr, for fear that they might slip or deviate because they cannot understand this issue. So they said, what is your opinion about this or such a position that the people may take? The Sheikh Muhammad ibn Sali al-Uthaymeen in his book Al-Fatawa, he said, this issue, like the other important issues that are a necessity for the human being in his religion as well as in his worldly affairs, this issue, like the other important issues which we must have for our religion and for our worldly affairs, it is a necessity that we learn it, that we understand it, and that we seek refuge or seek help from Allah, the Blessed and the Most High, in order to achieve that knowledge of these things, and that correct understanding until it becomes clear to us the matter. Because it is not proper that anyone should have doubt in such very important matters. There should be clear understanding. As for those issues in the deen which are not an absolute necessity for everyone to know, in those issues Perhaps if a person fears that to study them at this time it might cause them to misunderstand or to deviate or to go astray, then there is no harm to put those things off until later. As long as the more important issues, such as the issue of Al-Qadr, the divine decree, as long as the more important issues, such as this issue, as long as the person studies it, and knows that it is obligatory, that he must understand it completely, at least the foundations or the fundamentals of it, until he becomes certain and has no more doubt of the reality of this important pillar of the Islamic belief. Then the Shaykh says, Alhamdulillah, the matter is not so difficult that it cannot be understood. 
those people who find difficulty in studying the Islamic beliefs, the Aqidah. The reason for this, unfortunately, and this is very important, each of us should consider carefully what the Shaykh is saying here. He said, this is because, unfortunately, many of us, many of the people have given more emphasis and precedence to the how of the matters of our religion over the, the why of it. Yani, he said, most people or many of the people are more concerned about how to perform the prayer than why they are performing the prayer. How to perform the fasting than why we are performing the fasting. When in fact, every human being will be asked concerning his deeds by both of these questions. Lima wa kaif. Why did you do it? As well as how did you do it? Why did you do it? It means al-ikhlas or al-niyyah. Why did you do such a deed? Did you do it purely for Allah alone? Or did you do it to be seen by people? Kaif, how did you do it, means did you do it according to the way of the Prophet ﷺ? Or did you do it according to the way you found the people or you made up your own way? Both of these things we will be questioned about. Our intention, was it purely for Allah? And was our manner of doing our deeds according to the direction and guidance of the Prophet ﷺ? Most of the people, unfortunately, are more busy in dealing with the side of how, how they are doing it. And they have, unfortunately, forgotten or become unaware or unconcerned about the other side, why they are doing it. The intention, the sincerity of intention in the heart. For this reason, we find concerning the intention or the ikhlas, the purity of intention, we find that many people are not giving much concern to it, but they are giving more concern to the uh, how, even going into such minute details that does not affect the acceptance of the deeds or not. While at the same time, the matter of sincerity of intention has been to a great extent neglected and in some cases totally neglected. This is the side concerning al-Aqidah or al-Tawheed. We find many of the people in the affairs of the world, they ask about a certain issue, a very minute, very insignificant issue, but they ask about it in detail, while their heart is completely immersed in the world, and it is unconcerned and unmindful of Allah almost totally. They learned about buying and selling, about the cars or the automobiles that they drive, the homes that they live in, the clothing that they wear, but unconcerned about their relationship with their Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Perhaps some of the people even go to the extent that they become worshippers of the world, and he doesn't even realize that he has become a mushrik, one who has associated something else with Allah, in that he made the world as a God besides Allah. He is giving attention to worldly matters more than he's giving attention to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of the people didn't give any importance to this, the intention or the aqidah or the belief or the relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is not only the common people, but even some of the people of knowledge, the students of knowledge, 
the religious people who claim to have knowledge of the deen. And this is a very, very dangerous situation. Some of the people also, on the other hand, have went to another extreme. And that is that they gave total emphasis to Al-Aqidah, the Islamic beliefs, without giving any emphasis to their actions, to their dealings with the people, how they do uh, deal with things in the world. They only think about their Aqidah as long as their beliefs is correct. They don't care about what they do with their deeds or how they deal with people at all. And this is also a mistake and it is also equally dangerous. The reality is that the human being is expected to give attention to both sides, to their worldly life and to their religious life, to their intentions as well as to their, uh, the manner of performing their worship or their actions in this world. Both of them together have to be considered يعني, why we are doing something as well as how we are doing it. Then he finally says, in conclusion, uh, that it is a necessity for every person to study the knowledge of Tawheed, the knowledge of the uniqueness of Allah, that He alone should be worshipped and He alone has the perfect and divine names and characteristics. So that He may be clear in His relationship with His Lord, the one that He worships, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That He may be clear in understanding the names of Allah, the characteristics of Allah, the actions of Allah. And that he may be clear in understanding the laws of Allah, the universal laws as well as the religious laws. And that he may be clear about the wisdom of Allah and the secrets of Allah in his legislation and in his creation so that he would not go astray nor lead others astray. The knowledge of a Tawheed is the most honored of all the sciences because of the honored position of the one that it is connected to. It is connected to our Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for this reason, many of the scholars named or they called this knowledge, the knowledge of Islamic beliefs in Allah, Tawheed, they called it Al-Fiqh, Al-Akbar, the greatest fiqh. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Man yuridillahi, man yuridillahu bihi khayran yufakkihu fiddeen. That whoever Allah wants for them good, he would give them knowledge, that, yani he would give them understanding of the deen. And the first and most important of that understanding of the deen is the understanding of a tawheed the understanding of Islamic beliefs, al-Aqidah. But in the same way, nonetheless, it is also important that the person, and necessary that the person consider how they do whatever they do, uh, and who they take this knowledge from, what are its sources. So the person should take this knowledge first from the pure sources, that are free from confusion or doubt or misunderstanding or deviation, then after they understand the Aqidah correctly, then they may go and look at and consider some of the uh, ideas that were innovated, where the people deviated, in order that they may be able to refute them and that they may be able to clarify them. Uh, but before looking at the, those things, they should first understand the correct Aqidah from the pure sources. And these pure sources are first the Qur'an, the Book of Allah, and the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. After that, the speech of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Then the speech of the Imams from amongst the Tabi'een, that is the students of the companions, and then the students of the Tabi'een, and so on, until we 
take also after that from those scholars who we have trust in, both their knowledge and their faithfulness. And these scholars, there are many from the past generations and even from amongst those of today. So here, the Shaykh, he has given us some uh, instruction which makes us to see and to know that even though some people think that Aqidah is something difficult to understand and particularly uh, this matter of Al-Qadr, divine decree and divine uh, predestination or preordination or pre-measurement, nonetheless it is of the important matters, is an arkan of Iman, a pillar of faith. We have to know about it and we have to understand it correctly so that we would not be misled or mislead others. Some of the scholars, they talk about divine decree. One of the contemporary scholars, Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreen, in his explanation of Usul Sunnah, the book which we are studying now, in this chapter that we have just begun to talk about tonight, he says in the explanation, Al-Iman Bil-Qadr, that believing in divine decree is one of the foundations or the six pillars of Iman. And it is that a person should believe that Allah knows everything that will be and everything that was. And that all of this has been written in the preserved tablet, Allah al-Mahfuz. We must believe that Allah has knowledge of everything and that it is all written down before He created the heavens and the earth in Allah al-Mahfuz, the preserved tablet that is in the heavens with Allah. He must also believe that there is nothing in existence except after Allah willed it to be. And nothing will come into existence except that Allah wills it to be. He must also believe that Allah is the creator of everything. And that there is nothing in existence except that Allah is the creator of it. Anything that exists, Allah is the creator of it. There is no two creators. Creator of good and creator of bad. But there is only one creator, the creator of heavens and the earth. And he is the creator of everything. He is the creator of all things that exist, as well as their actions, as well as the laws. Also, we must believe, as part of this arkan of Iman, the rukn of Iman, Al-Qadr and Al-Qadha, we must believe that whatever has befallen someone, whatever has afflicted anyone, it could not have passed him by. And that whatever passed him by, it could not have befallen him, as is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam which is Sahih on the authority of Ibn Abbas, and it is reported by Imam Ahmed and Imam Al-Tirmidhi in his Sunan. It is reported... Know that all of the people of the nations, if they were to collect together to try to give you any benefit, they would not be able to benefit you with anything except that thing which has already been written for you. وَلَوْ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَضُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكَ And if all of the peoples in the world, all the nations, were to gather, gather together to try to harm you with anything, they would never be able to harm you with anything except that thing which Allah has already written to before you. رُفِعَتْ الْأَقْلَامُ وَجُفَّتْ الصُّحُفُ The pens have been lifted and the pages have dried. That is, the divine decree was already written. 
The pens are lifted, nothing will be changed. The pages are dried, nothing can be changed. Allah's decree is firm and it will not be changed. This is what he said about Al-Qadr. Also, many of the scholars, in these last few moments, before we end, I would like to mention some of what the scholars say to be sure that what we are expressing here this evening is not the opinion of one scholar or one contemporary scholar, but it is the opinion or the position or the belief of all the scholars from the first generations until today. And we will quote from some of those scholars what they said, all of them agreeing on this point of Qadr that everything is written according to Allah's perfect knowledge. That Allah knew everything before He created the heavens and the earth. He knew everything. His knowledge did not increase nor decrease, but everything that was going to happen was already known to Him and He had it written. So the first point is that Allah has perfect knowledge of everything and the second point is that all of these things were written. In Allah al-Mahfud, the preserved tablet that's above the heavens, and then the next point is that nothing happens except by the will of Allah, by the irada or the mashia of Allah. Nothing happens except that Allah wills it. Whether it's good or bad, it cannot happen except by the will or the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the last point is that nothing comes into being or to in existence except that Allah is the creator of it. So these four things are included in the Islamic belief of divine decree that Allah knows everything that it all was written down, that nothing happens except by the will of Allah, and that everything that exists or that happens, it is the creation of Allah who is the only creator. The first of those scholars, one of the great scholars who was very famous, he was a Hanafi scholar from the madhab of Abu Imam Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam uh, Abu Ja'afa Al-Tahawi, who died in the year 321 after the Hijrah. Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, he said about Al-Qadr wa Al-Qadr, خَلَقَ الْخَلْقِ بِعِلْمِهِ وَقَدْرَ لَهُمْ أَقْدَارًا وَضَرَبَ لَهُمْ آجَالًا وَلَمْ يَقُفُّ عَلَيْهِ شَيْءٌ قَبْلَ أَنْ, يخلق قبل أن يَخْلُقَهُ وَعَلِمَ مَا هُمْ عَامِلُونَ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَخْلُقَهُمْ That Allah created everything in the creation with knowledge, based on knowledge, having known it. And He decreed everything or measured everything according to what it's going to have and what it's going to do and what it's going to be before it came into this world. Then Allah also determined their existence, how long they would be into this world, when they would come and when they would go. And also He said that Allah, that nothing is hidden from Allah even before He created them. And He knows everything that he created when it came into this world, what it's going to do even before he created it. Then he goes on to say further that Allah has ordered the people with obedience and he has prohibited them from disobedience. And this is very important in understanding Al-Qadr, that people cannot say that since everything is already decreed, then there's no need in me making any effort, I might as well just do whatever I want to do. But actually, it is part of the belief in Al-Qadr that Allah has not only uh, given the human being some limited free will so that they may choose right from wrong, and He showed us what is right and showed us what is wrong, but He ordered the people with obedience. He ordered them to do good after showing them good, and He prohibited them from evil. So Allah, if He ordered the people to do good, then 
it means that they then become responsible for obeying Allah. And if he prohibited them from disobedience or sin, then they become responsible if they then use their will and their ability to do that which Allah has prohibited. And then he said that everything happens according to Allah's measurement or preordination and his will, and that his will is executed. And that there is no will for the human beings except uh, that is in accordance or in submission to Allah's will. Whatever Allah wills will be and whatever Allah does not will, it will never be. He also said, uh, Allah guides whomever he wills and he protects them from deviation and guards them according to his bounty. And Allah misleads whomever he wills and allows them to go astray and test them by his justice. And that all people are going forward uh, between the, the bounty or the favor of Allah and His justice. Yani all people are subject, subjected to do these two things, either the bounty or the favor of Allah. Um, by Allah's favor, the people who seek guidance, by His favor He guides them. And those who seek deviation, He justly allows them to deviate. And also he said there is no one who can push back or reject the execution of what Allah has decreed and there is no one who can second guess or oppose Allah in that which he has ruled and no one can overcome or defeat uh, the command of Allah, whatever he has commanded. And finally he says that we believe in all of this and we are sure that everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is Al-Imam Abu Ja'afa al-Tahawi who died in the year 321. After him, uh, Al-Imam Abu Muhammad Al-Hasan ibn Ali Al-Barbahari who died in the year 329. He was the Imam of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah in his time and he wrote a book called Sharh al-Sunnah, the explanation of the beliefs of Islam, the Islamic Aqidah. And he said in brief about Al-Qadha wal-Qadha, he said that we must be pleased with what Allah has decreed and executed. And we must be patient with what Allah has judged. And we must have faith in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said. Faith in those things that Allah has decreed, all of it, the good of it and the evil of it, the sweet of it and the bitter of it, that which we like or that which we dislike. And he said also that Allah has knowledge of everything that his servants do. And he knows what will be their final destination. And nothing is outside of the knowledge of Allah. Nothing that is in the earth nor in the heavens, except that Allah has knowledge of it. And also know that whatever has befallen you, it could not have missed you. And whatever has missed you, it could not have befallen you. And that there is no creator along with Allah. Yeah, Allah is the only creator. Also, from amongst the imams, uh, Al-Imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Abi Zaid, who was one of the great scholars of the Maliki Madhab, and he was known as, as Al-Malik Al-Saghir. He was very يعني, uh, much resembling Al-Imam Malik, rahimahullah, and he was a great scholar of his time from the people of the West, from Al-Maghrib. And in his uh, explanation of the Aqidah according to the people of the Maliki Madhab, which as you will see is the same Aqidah of the people of the Hanafi Madhab, 
And as you will see, it is the same aqidah of the Shafi'i, the Hanbali, and all of the people of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Al-Imam Abu Muhammad, uh, Abdullah ibn Abi Zayd, he said, Rahimahullah, that part of our aqidah is the believing in divine decree, the good of it and the evil of it, the sweet of it and the bitter of it. All of that is what Allah has decreed. It is from the measurement of Allah. It is His, all of the affairs that He has measured is in His hand or in His uh, control of His hand. All of it comes forth from what Allah has decreed. Allah has knowledge of everything before its existence and everything goes according to that which Allah has decreed. There's nothing that comes from the servants of Allah, not speech or actions, except it is according to what Allah has previously decreed and according to what Allah previously already knew. And as Allah says in the Quran, He mentions, Does not the one who created know He is Al-Latif Al-Khabir, the one who knows even the finest things and He is well informed of everything. Then he goes on to say, Allah leads astray and leaves astray whomever he wills according to his justice and he guides whomever he wills and gives them success according to his favor and that everyone, it will be made easy for him to go to that which has been uh, previously known by Allah yani to reach the destination that Allah had already decreed for him and knew about and Allah has already decreed those who would be unhappy Ya'ani, meaning going to paradise and those who would, uh, the hellfire and those who would be happy going to the paradise. It is not possible for us to consider that anything can happen in the, in the heavens and the earth or in the uh, sovereignty or in the kingdom of Allah that it is unacceptable, unlikely and impossible that anything can happen in Allah's kingdom except that which He wills. Or that anyone can be free or independent from Allah. Allah is the creator of everything and there is no Lord or He is the Lord of all creation. He is the Lord not only of the creation but also of the deeds or the actions of those whom He has created. He is the one who measures their actions and their time span or lifespan in this world. Finally, uh, in the book of Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Abdul Halim ibn Salam ibn Taymiyyah, his book Al-Aqidah Al-Wasatiyah, he also discussed Al-Qadha Al-Qadha, uh, and he died in the year 728, that is in the early part of the 8th century of the Hijrah. He said that those who are destined to be saved, that is the people of Sunnah, they believe in Allah's Qadha, his pre-decree, which covers both the good and the evil. Faith in divine pre-decree has two aspects, each of them in turn contains two elements. Two aspects, each of them contain two elements. The first has to do with the conviction or the iman or the faith that Allah the Most High knew in advance what His creatures will do through His eternal knowledge, which is an attribute of His eternally. It is one of His attributes eternally from the beginning of time, without beginning or end. He knows in advance all of their conditions whether they will be obedient or disobedient, and what provision they will receive, and their lifespan. Moreover, Allah has recorded in the Lawh al-Mahfud, the guarded tablet, what He has pre-decreed regarding His creatures. 
The first thing that Allah created was the pen. He said to it, write, and it replied, what shall I write? He answered, write, what will occur from now on until the day of resurrection? So whatever came upon a man could not have been avoided by him, and whatever he missed could not have been attained by him. The pens have dried, and the, and the pages were folded and uh, folded for safekeeping, yeah, and he closed up. As Allah says in the Quran, do you not realize that Allah knows what is in the heaven and earth? Indeed, it is in a record. Yeah, and it is written. Allah knows what is in the heavens and earth. He has knowledge and it is also written. And that is easy for Allah. And he also said, no disaster occurs on the earth or with respect to yourselves, except that it is in a book before we bring it into being. Indeed, that is easy for Allah. He also said that the, the predestination or pre-decree it, that proceeds from Allah's foreknowledge has to do with both His universal or His general and the particular. Yani the things that are going to happen in general as well as the details of those things. For Allah has recorded in the guarded tablet whatever He willed. And when He created an embryo in the womb of the woman, before having imparted the spirit into it, He sent an angel and gave him instructions having to do with four matters to, re- to uh, record his sustenance in this world, his lifespan, his deeds, and whether he would be of those people who are happy or unhappy. Then he goes on to say that some of the people deviated in reference to the belief in divine decree. In the earlier days, there were some people called the Qadariya who rejected what we have mentioned tonight from the various scholars of the past and present. They rejected this understanding of divine decree. Uh, But today, most of them, those who rejected are only a few. Those people, the Qadariya, they said that man has absolute free will. That man does whatever he wants to do, and his will is not subjected to the will of Allah. This is obviously a wrong belief. And the other people who deviated in the opposite direction, they said that man has no free will, that he only does what Allah has forced him, he only does what Allah has forced him to do, uh, he has no will, and therefore, if we believe such a thing, then he could not be responsible. Uh, then Allah's commands and prohibitions have no meaning and Allah's judgment of people on the Day of Judgment also have no meaning and would not be just for Him to punish some and to reward others if they have no will at all. The second aspect of faith in divine decree after the knowledge and the writing has to do with Allah's will, His creative will, and His all-embracing power. That nothing uh, happens except by Allah's will and by Allah's power. Then he says that... uh, he confirms that people or the human beings, they are actually the doers of their actions in the real sense. However, Allah is the creator of their actions. Men are the ones who believe or disbelieve. They are the ones who live righteously or unrighteously. The human beings are the ones who perform prayers and fasting. But still, in spite of the fact that we confirm this, we still must confirm that Allah is the creator of everything, the human beings as well as their actions. Men have power or ability over their deeds and they also have will to choose whether or not they want to do right or wrong while Allah on the other hand is the creator of their power. Yani the human being doesn't have power except that Allah gave him power and the human being doesn't have will except that Allah created for him will. And whoever amongst you wills to go straight as Allah said in the Quran but you will not go straight except as Allah wills. So here in this verse, Allah confirms that the human being has will, but that that will is subjected to to the will of Allah. And this is in Surah Al-Taqwiyah, verse 28 and 29. This aspect of divine power or divine qadr is denied by the majority of the qadriya, whom the Prophet ﷺ called the majus or the Zoroastrians of this community. 
some of the, of those people who who affirm the this who affirm in this um, matter of divine decree go to the extreme in this matter uh, to the extent that they say Allah has total power over the actions of the human being the human being has no will at all these people are wrong uh, they say that the human being has no choice obviously this is a deviation in doing so they deprive uh, the acts and decisions of Allah of wisdom and goodness so uh, in conclusion we should know that to say that the human being has no will is wrong and to say that the human being has absolute will is also wrong. The human being does have a will and he has an ability or power. does have will and he does have the ability to execute his will to make a choice between doing that which Allah has commanded or abandon it avoiding that which Allah has prohibited uh, or engaging in it and therefore he is responsible for his actions and will be called to account he will be judged on the day of resurrection and he will be rewarded for his good deeds or punished for his evil deeds or Allah may forgive him if he will uh, so that for sure Part of the belief in Al-Qadr or Al-Qadr or the divine predestination or pre-decree or pre-ordination is that the human being uh, is definitely responsible for his actions. He must strive and make an effort to worship Allah, to obey Allah, to seek the pleasure of Allah just as he strives to make an effort to earn material things in this world, just as he makes every effort to do those things which would attain or achieve for him the good things of the world, he must also make an equal effort to achieve or to attain the good things of the next life because the things in this world, his provisions were preordained just as his destination in the paradise or the hellfire is preordained as we mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that when the person is in the womb of their mother that the angel will come and write for them what would be their sustenance and what would be their deeds and what would be their lifespan and what would be their destination, paradise or hellfire all of this is decreed so just as we strive and struggle to achieve the things that we want of goodness in this life, we must also equally or more so strive and struggle and make the right choices and make the effort to do those things which will achieve for us the goodness of the next life. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. If there are any questions, please send them. If not, uh, we will prepare for salat. Uh, we'll take just a few moments to see if there are any questions. While we are waiting, let me just mention that uh, for further reference, we would like to give out a sheet uh, or some papers with more information concerning this issue of Al-Qadha and Al-Qadr because we have quickly tried to summarize some of the important issues related to this. So please uh, pay attention to those uh, papers which are given out concerning Al-Qadha and Al-Qadha. Read them carefully. Try to understand them. And also, for more information, we have provided a brief listing of some of the books or essays that are available in English. 
concerning Al-Qadha and Al-Qadha and from amongst them is a very extensive and detailed book on the subject of faith in Islam by Dr. Salih As-Salih uh, which is a very 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 comprehensive reference on this issue then there is a smaller uh, essay written by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan entitled Faith in Predestination uh, which is also very very well written and contains the basic information concerning this topic some other books which contain chapters or sections concerning Al-Qadha wal qadha is the book uh, by Jamal Zarabozo He Came to Teach You Your Religion and the book by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen The Muslim Beliefs Aqeelatul Muslim and also in the book of uh, that some, a collection of some of the writings of Ibn Taymiyyah the book called Book of Iman Kitab al-Iman which was recently published this past year as well as another book by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen Sharh Usul al-Iman which was translated by Dr. Salih al-Sali The Explanation of the Fundamentals of Iman or Faith he also contains uh, a section in there on Al-Qadha wa Al-Qadha and also the small uh, essay by Sheikh Abdurrahman Abdul Khaliq uh, General Prescripts of Belief in the Quran and Sunnah these are some pamphlets or books that contain more information about Qadha and Qadha please try to refer to them to uh, increase your knowledge and information on this topic there's a question here if Allah has written for a person to go to heaven why would he make it easy or open the way for him to sin uh, if Allah has written for someone to go to heaven or to paradise first of all we should be clear that what this means that Allah has written it means that when Allah created the human being he gave that human being willpower and choice to choose what he should do in this world he also gave him knowledge by sending prophets and messengers he gave him knowledge of what is right and wrong so that he could use his willpower to choose the right thing if he wanted to then he gave him power or ability to execute or to implement that which he chooses when people incline towards good and right and following the guidance of the prophets then Allah inclines their heart to that so that it becomes easier for them to do that which they decided to do and they made an effort to do that's from Allah's favor to them when a person turns to right and tries to do right and seeks the right way Allah out of his bounty makes it easier for them to do that Allah doesn't make it easy nor does he open the way for people to do sin when he has written for them paradise but it may be that a person Allah doesn't force anyone to do sin nor does he force anyone into the paradise but it may be that a person during the course of his life was inclined towards sin but Allah has given us an option he didn't make it so that when a person does wrong that he should give up hope and say look I've been a sinner therefore there's no hope for me I might as well just die on sin but in our religion alhamdulillah in the religion of Islam Allah has given us the means of turning back and correcting our way it's called a tawbah it is repentance no matter how much wrong a person has done Allah has said that if that person wants to change their way Allah is ready and willing and happy that you should turn back to him repent to him ask for forgiveness and correct your way so it might be that a person who used to do wrong for so long, maybe most of their life, they might accept this option that Allah has given to us and sincerely from their heart repent and turn back from their wrong ways and try to do good, then Allah rewards them with paradise. That's Allah's bounty and His favor. And it's open to everyone. Whoever has done wrong, they have the option to repent and turn back. And if they are sincere in their repentance, then Allah accepts their repentance 
and Allah allows them to correct their life and do that which is right. When Allah wrote that a person is going to enter paradise, it doesn't mean that he yani, forced that person or he decided that I want that person in paradise, so I write for him paradise. But when Allah wrote that someone is going to enter paradise, it means that Allah who has knowledge of everything, before that person came into the world, knew that that person was going to live his life in a certain way, whether living the life of the righteous or even living the, right, the life of the unrighteous, but in the end of his life he might repent. And so if that person was going to repent and Allah would accept his repentance, then Allah knew that that person would enter paradise and he wrote that. He wrote what the person was going to do. But that person has a choice, either to uh, repent in the end of his life or not to repent. If that person, by his own free will, decided to repent, then Allah accepts true repentance and Allah rewards him out of his favor to enter the paradise. I hope that answers your question, inshallah. The important thing that we should remember is that the options are open for us. Everyone is responsible for using his will and his power to choose that which is right and to earn the reward of Allah. Or if he uses it to choose that which is wrong, then he is responsible for his actions and he is justified for deserving of being punished by Allah for disobeying Allah after he knew right from wrong. Whoever chooses to do right, then Allah will help them. And whoever repents from their sin, Allah accepts repentance. And inshallah, we should try to do right. And if we make any mistake, take the option of repentance and turn back to Allah. So that by Allah's favor and His bounty, we can enter His paradise. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka. Wa atubu ilayk.